The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Summer Institute. Disordered Desires, Bringing Grace to Modern Sexuality. This workshop is entitled Helping Women Who Struggle with Pornography. Um, I heard about one pastor's wife who told a young woman that the young woman was seeking help for her pornography issue. Um, The wife of the pastor said, that's ridiculous. Only men are addicted to pornography. Well, I don't know what planet this pastor's wife was on, but it wasn't on this one. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. Statistics are alarming about women's pornography use. The, The statistics vary, but it is a real and present danger, and it's getting worse. Now, there's a ministry called Dirty Girl Ministries, and the lady that um, heads up this ministry, her name is Crystal Raynaud, R-E-N-A-U-D, and she writes, it's common for women to think, I thought I was the only one. And unlike for men, the addiction to porn in women is not as much about how it makes her feel physically, but how it meets her emotional needs. This is a real issue. This is a sin that's common to men, and it is common, uh, not as common to women, but it can be. I have uh, had several women counselees over the years that were addicted to pornography or addicted to uh, phone sex or something like that. Uh, let me read you this testimony. Now, this woman uh, is a Christian. I believe she's a Christian. She goes to church. She uh, has a very she's a very responsible person. Just to look at her, you would not think that she would have gotten into all this. It said it all started out very innocently, playing a game on the computer. I initially played with the Christian family, my sister and my sons. I had a character who interacted with others from all over the country. So it's like a cartoon thing. You just make up somebody who you want to be. Um... I made friends with several people and one person in particular. This person happened to be a man that she didn't know. He lived in another state. We had been friends for over a year. And then our conversation started turning more personal. He was a married man. Now, she was single, but not happily married. At least that's what he said. His wife had cheated on him. That's what he said. We, I mean, he, she, there was no way for her to know. So this seemed to be his justified outlet. Little by little, our conversations became more intimate. We progressed from chat during the game to email and cell phone interactions. I liked having someone to share personal stuff with, and it didn't feel as wrong as it would have been if we were in person. See, it's safer. Um, since he was in New York and it was just the internet it was easier to make excuses I really struggled with what I was doing I knew it was wrong but I couldn't seem to say no or at least turn him away 
Then we started engaging in sexual talk and texting, and I was addicted. Finally, and they, they started having phone sex. Finally, I confessed my sin to my sister. Her sister drug her to me <laughs> and made her tell me what she was doing. Uh, I confessed to my sister and Martha Peace so that I would have someone other than myself to hold me accountable. I slowed down until I finally made the break completely. It was like pulling teeth. I mean, she was so hooked on this and that man. Um, and But I finally made the break completely and deleted all available resources. The Lord has been gracious to forgive me and to slowly remove the desire from me. With time, it has gotten easier, and thankfully, I do not wish to try to contact him. Now, he tried every which way that he could to keep, you know, in her life. So what I want to do is give you a couple of typical examples of secular Christian psychology helps that, of course, I don't recommend. And then I divided the counseling into four phases, and I'm calling it phase one, two, three, and four. Phase one is biblical principles on mortifying the flesh. Phase two, confession and accountability. Three, what to do with the card, I call it the card catalog of images and romance scenarios that come to mind. Because women, uh, it can, can be all about sex and they'll masturbate, but it can be that and romance things, scenarios that they make up in their mind. And phase four, dying to self and becoming consumed with the glory of God. Because if that doesn't happen, they're going to go right back to it or eventually will. And then I want to give you some recommended resources and some not recommended resources. Now, when we're talking about secular options or Christian secular options, uh, one big one is the Transformations Treatment Center. And this is based on the medical model. Uh, You read on the uh, website things like, we know you are in pain, we can help. They said sexual addiction is a compulsive and escalating pattern of sexual behavior acted out despite negative consequences. Signs of sexual addiction include indulgence in pornography, multiple anonymous partners, cyber sex or phone sex, or any unsafe sexual activity. Addicts may suffer emotional, physical, financial, and even legal harm due to their addiction. Relationships can be destroyed. Sexual addiction progresses in the same manner as alcohol and drug addictions. Small actions and activities cease to satisfy a need. And that's true. The the pornography or any kind of sexual addiction, you've got to have more. You're never, ever going to be satisfied. Um, 
more stimulation is needed, an innocent peek and an internet porn site may have turned into an obsession that has divided you from your partner and interfered with your career, your health, etc. Now, basically, in this place, they, they count, and they're all over the United States, they counsel one of two ways. One-on-one counseling to help your, your counselor will help you identify your underlying issues that cause you to have this addiction. And then they have 12-step meetings and uh, they, you, to learn how to identify stressors or triggers. Now they have, it's interesting, they have a Christian option. I mean, this, this program is expensive, but they have a Christian option, and that's Cloud and Townsend's book, Boundaries. When to say yes and how to say no. They have an option of a Christ-centered 12-step process, celebrate recovery, um, traditional 12-step meeting, inner, I-N-N-E-R, inner healing, uh, church communion and, or baptism. So they give a nod to Christians who want Christian help, but it's not Christian help. It's psychology helps, and some of it's practical, the tips. Uh, sometimes it can be, but like Alcoholics Anonymous, who you always remain an addict, I would assume that you're going to struggle with this probably the rest of your life. And, of course, we know that's not necessary. It's not true. Biblical counseling, uh, phase one, I entitled this to uh, teaching biblical principles on mortifying the flesh. You've got to teach your counselee the biblical principles. Now, I'm assuming you're going through the gospel. You have, as best you can determine, uh, you think they are born again. Uh, they want to honor God. And I got these principles. I adapted them from Arthur Pink's book, The Doctrine of Mortification. And uh, I won't take time to read all these scripture, but I want you to go back and reread these principles and uh, look up the scriptures. And if you're counseling somebody, you would read them to them or have them read them as you go through them. Point A, to mortify the flesh means to discipline the natural desires and appetites of the physical body so that they are our servants and not our masters. Romans 6, 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Point B, unmortified sin is against the whole design of the gospel. As though Christ's sacrifice was intended to indulge us in sin rather than redeem us from it. There's a church in just real close to my church who they um, are so into God's grace that 
that you don't even have to ask God's forgiveness, or you can just pretty much do what you want to do, and they're very flip about it. Uh, someone from that church, a lady, visited our church one Sunday, and she was very offended because our elders. Uh, there was actually a man coming out from under church discipline and so that was a real joy for all of us but she was just like who are you to judge you know this man so she went back to her everything's grace church point C there is a ceaseless conflict in the saint between indwelling sin and God's grace. Galatians 5.17, these things are in opposition to each other, the flesh and the Holy Spirit there. It talks about in Galatians 5. And we know that we struggle with sin, and we will until the Lord takes us to be with him. But we should be sinning less. It should be less of a struggle than it was a while back uh, after we got saved. And then point D, though risen with Christ, their life is hid with him in God and certain to appear with Christ in glory. The saints are nevertheless exhorted to mortify their members which are upon the earth. We have uh, a responsibility to take charge of our bodies and use them in a way that would honor God. And Galatians, I mean, I'm sorry, Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 5, and then verse 8. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you're born again, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Consider, meanwhile, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then in verse 8, it says, And now you also put them all aside. Wait a minute, not verse 8. No, it says verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. I think that's not what I meant. But anyway, the point is that we need to reckon ourselves as dead to these things and not act on them, not desire them, not uh, think about them. And then point E, unless the Holy Spirit puts forth his power in them, the in people, there will be no true mortification. God gives us a new nature when he saves us, strengthens us in the inner man, grants fresh supplies of grace from day to day. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. First time I ever thought that I had, that 
I had shown that God had supernaturally shown the fruit of the Spirit through me uh, was one time that I was correcting our son, David, which he did something that would have sent me into orbit previously. But I disciplined him. I talked to him, not like a crazy person, but just (laughs) calm, normal tone of voice. And uh, afterwards, I just got tickled to death. I said... That is the fruit of the Spirit. Because <laughs> I knew it wasn't me. <laughs> um, works, unless the Holy Spirit works in us a loathing of sin. Now, if it, the, one of the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to convict us concerning sin and righteousness. And a mourning over it, a turning from it, presses the claims of Christ to us, brings up some principle or warning to our mind, seals promises upon our hearts, and moves us to pray. There's going to be no true mortification of sin. Romans 8, verse 12 through 14. And then point F, the believer is not passive. This is so important. The believer is not passive in the work of mortification, but active. I just love how what Arthur Pink said. It must not be supposed that the Holy Spirit will help us without our cooperation. Women, men, people, sinners just want to just do nothing and that God just help them. And it's just not going to happen. Believers are required to set themselves seriously to the task. Then let not the lazy Christian imagine he will ever get the victory over his lust. Romans 8, verse 13, 1 Timothy 4, 7 says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And then 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. When I, when I, I started, I've been a, a NANC, ACBC counselor for 27 years. And um, when I first started counseling, I was dumbfounded at... When I had a counselee that was lazy, that had a lack of self-control, how it wouldn't matter what the problem was, they would not make any progress. And I, as a young counselor, I didn't have much tolerance for that. <laughs> but I was working with Lou Priolo, and he helped me. He, you know, he said, "You have to get over this. People do sin." <laughs> I said, "Well, I know, but..." I, Anyway, um, I, I was a work in progress. I still am. So, but if they're lazy, you're going to have to really help them with their lack of self-control. Jay Adams has a little, one of these little booklets called um, Godliness Through Discipline. It's really good. Very practical. Uh, point F, the believer is... Oh, well, we already said that. Point G, believers are the agents in this work, yet they perform it by the strength of another. In other words, the believer is to think and do the right thing, but 
God is giving them supernatural grace and power to do it. And God gets all the credit and all the glory. Uh, The duty is theirs, but the success and glory are his. He illumines the understanding and makes us more sensible of the indwelling sin. He makes the conscience more sensitive. He deepens our yearnings after purity, longing for purity. He works in us both to will and to do God's good pleasure. Our business, our responsibility is to heed his convictions, to respond to his holy impulses, to implore his aid, and to count upon his grace. Um, Carolyn, will you get some me a cough drop out of my purse? Thank you. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. All right, so phase one is to teach them the biblical principles. Take your time. Have them take notes and teach them. Phase two is repentance results in confession and accountability. (coughs) We had a a counseling case last year where a uh, teenage girl accused her father of sexually molesting her. She couldn't prove it. He denied it. It was the biggest mess. And uh, and, uh, our head counselor, David Birch, was working with the father. And he was very convincing that he had not done this. And um, then, but Dave had him in the Bible doing homework, counseling him. And then the Lord saved him. The next day, he turned himself into the police. He's in prison now, but that is the fruit of repentance there. Repentance is turning from sin and a willingness to do whatever it takes to change. Now, you want to encourage your counselee to make a full confession. And I love telling people what Jay Adams says, God is in the problem. This is a sin that is common to man, and you are not the only one. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it's a relief for a woman who's in bondage, to, addicted to sex or um, pornography, that you're not panicking. You're not sitting there saying, oh, this is the most terrible thing I've ever heard. You may think it, but don't say it. That won't encourage them at all. Uh, and then point number three, the Lord will help you and I will help you. So I've got a plan. I know what to do. I know how to help you. The Lord has told us how. Hebrews 4 verse 16, 1 Thessalonians five fourteen, and Galatians 6, 2. And then number four, they're usually embarrassed about coming for help. Uh, and I'll tell them, seeking counsel is very wise. I see what you have done is a very wise thing. And then I'll read Proverbs 12, verse 15. Number five, do not promise, to ke- if they ask you to promise, to keep what they tell you a secret. And I would say, normally I will. I will. 
but if it becomes a church discipline matter, then you would ha- um, then you would have to bring in. I would have to bring in other witnesses. As a rule, I don't tell the elders in my church what women tell me, and I don't tell my husband what uh, women tell me. I don't tell my daughter, Anna, who's in the same church. Anna has had women come up to her and start telling her an update on their problems. And Anna says, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're, they're shocked. Didn't your mother tell you? And she said, no, I don't even know who she's counseling. And so you want to be that way, have that kind of integrity. I, um, I don't know what they think. I get on the hotline on my phone or I text her and say, guess what she did now? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but if the counseling is not going well, then I will involve David Birch, who's our pastor, uh, over our counseling ministry. And then, of course, if it becomes a church discipline issue, then other people get involved. Uh, if they're unstable emotionally, um, then they need help, and it, more help than even I can give them. And uh, maybe if they're suicidal, their family needs to know, you know, or you may even have to call the police and c- come get her, take her to the ER. She is going to kill herself. Um, Number six, exhort her to confess her sin to God and to the people that she knows she has sinned against them personally. First John 1, 9 and Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If she's married, I would admonish her, warn her, I would tell her, tell your husband, but don't give him the sordid details. Be very factual. For example, I've been secretly looking at internet pornography and masturbating for the last four years. I've sinned against God and you. I've asked God to forgive me, and now I'm asking you to forgive me. Now, before she does this, you need to prepare her for his reaction. And he's going to react one of three ways he may say I forgive you he may understand he may not be surprised at this Um, then she should just simply say thank you or he may say I do not forgive you how could you do this to me most husbands don't but some do Uh, then she should say I don't blame you for not forgiving me, but if you ever decide that you will, then please tell me. More than likely, the the third one is the answer that we get the most. Well, that's in the past, so we won't talk about it now. They're uncomfortable. They don't know what to say. Then take, I tell her, take that as a no answer. No, I won't tell you I forgive you and say, 
I don't blame you for not saying I forgive you. But if you come to the place where you can say it, please let me know. So you want it to not be left fuzzy and vague. You want it to be clear. If your counseling is opposed to confessing it to her husband, then I think Heath Lambert's book, Finally Free, would help persuade her for the need of accountability. And she... uh, This is a sin against God, but it's also a sin against her husband. Uh, The only time um, that I can think of, there was a a young woman who committed adultery, and she confessed it to me. And I said, you have got to tell your husband. Well, she rightly figured he's not going to handle this well. He had a bad temper. He was he, he he had his own issues. But he also was in intensive physical training to become a, a firefighter. And it's like going through boot camp in the army. And it meant a lot to him that he had gotten that job and and she was not involved with this man that she had committed adultery with at that time and she said can we wait six months or however long it was until he's through because he just needs to be able to focus on this and I said yes but I'm going to check in with you and hold you accountable to do that Uh, she believed it was the kindest thing that she could do for him he he didn't think it was he didn't he didn't handle it well but that was his sin um, not hers and then number 10 after she confesses to God and to her husband her accountability partner needs to be someone other than her husband Someone who will not get their feelings hurt. It won't be a personal affront against, like, one of the lady counselors in our church. You know, that kind of person. Um, Someone who will, it'll be easy to tell the truth to because she knows it won't hurt their feelings. And then in phase two, you've got to help her to not make any provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, think and act like he would, and make no provision for the flesh uh, in regard to its lust. That means her smartphone, her computer, her iPad, her romance books, even Christian romance books, severing any internet or face-to-face relationships, blocking numbers, someone else has to have the password to her computer, and at least for probably a year or two, be nearby when she is on the computer. If she is involved in pornography, she should not be allowed to have computer access unless there's somebody in the room can see the screen and what she is doing and if she won't um, agree to that 
then she really probably is not repentant. If she's offended by that, she's foolish, very much a fool. Other provisions for the flesh could be music, some music, some alcohol. Um, And then point C, usually in situations like this, accountability is a relief to her. It is a joy that she's finally safe from easy and secret exposure. And then phase three, and this is really important, I think, what to do with the pornographic romance images that come to your mind. Because when you've been exposed to this or you've fantasized about this, they can just pop up in your head. It's there any time. Well, one time I was, um, a while back, I was watching, I think, Fox News. And they played a YouTube video of a man who owned a liquor store. <clears throat> and he was uh, behind the cash register and he was waiting on customers. Well, a, a man, and he didn't look like a robber, he just looked like an ordinary middle-aged little man, walked up to the cash register as if he's going to buy something. And the owner was standing there and the video camera was behind the owner up in the up in the ceiling well you could see from the video the owner's back you could see his hands you could see the cash register and you could see the man walk up this man pulled a gun on him it was totally unexpected the owner in just a a second of time he took his left hand and pushed the man's gun to the side and drew his own gun and when I saw that I cheered I mean I was like yes (laughs) okay but then I thought about that that is not the first time that owner had done that cute little move he must have practiced it hundreds and hundreds of times because he didn't have to think about it. So this is what I tell my ladies. Whether it's something like pornography, whether it's fearful thoughts, whether it's angry thoughts, I tell them this story and I, and I teach them the put-off and put-on concept in Ephesians 4. And I say, okay, we need, you help me, but we need to come up with what I call emergency trigger thoughts. That when you have this wrong thought or this wrong desire, then you can pull out your emergency trigger thoughts and go through them. And then we brainstorm and I, usually you're going to have to coach her. You're going to have to help her. And I'll give you some examples of that. But then five or six emergency thoughts that are full of scripture, God-honoring, thinking about the Lord, and then I have her memorize them. 
And the next week, when she comes back, she's got to say them without looking there. Because if it's... You you just don't know when you're going to be tempted. And this is a habit. It is sin. It's ingrained in her. And it's pleasurable for her. So she's going to have to fight back if she's going to develop godly habits that are God-honoring thoughts and excellent and praiseworthy thoughts and pure thoughts. So we will... um, I would ask, I would exhort her to pray every day and ask God that she would forget as much so much that she could not what not even be able to recall these images or these um, romance things at first she may find out she is confessing this as sin as much as 50 times a day this is how sin is it will it's like I used to smoke years ago and the thought would occur to me, I wish I had a cigarette. Now, I quit smoking a long time before I got saved. But I didn't stop thinking, I wish I had a cigarette. For a year, I'm like, when is this going to end? And But it got better and better. If I had had the Lord supernaturally to help me, it would have been so much easier there but anyway emergency trigger thoughts and you can use this in counseling um, not just with this issue uh, other issues too but brainstorm with her on typical thoughts teach her about what kinds of thoughts she is to think and Philippians 4.8, one of those is pure thoughts. And pure thoughts don't lead to lust. All right, so I tell her, say the following pure thoughts out loud several times a day until you can say or think them easily in the emergency without looking. Lord, I am coming boldly to your throne of grace because I need your mercy and grace to help me not to sin against you. Uh, I base that on Hebrews 4.16. Lord, I know that you call me not in impurity, but in holiness. Make my heart pure. Um, Make me pure in my heart so that I might not sin against you. First Thessalonians 4, 7. Forgive me for this thought I just had. I know that since I ask you, you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now, do you see this is work? Okay? A lazy person isn't going to do it. They're going to have excuses uh, why they couldn't get it done. And if they don't, do it maybe for two or three weeks I just say when you decide to do your homework you can call and reschedule 
And I've got one lady, it's been over a year, and she'll say, every time, sometimes when I see her, she'll say, I know I need to get my homework done. And I just smile and I say, yeah, you do. Lord, I want to set my mind on you and the things above, not on this earth. I'm asking you to renew my mind so much that I cannot even remember my sinful thought. Colossians 3, 2. Lord, may your love constrain me. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Thank you so much for helping me. And then the psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. Uh, Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2. So these are just samples. But get in the trenches and uh, help them to because they know it's wrong. If they're Christians... Even if they're not Christians, they know it's wrong. And they know it's wrong. They feel guilty. They probably prayed a thousand times and asked God to take it away. And then they're probably discouraged and mad at God because he doesn't just instantly take it away. But see, they're not obeying God. They're not doing what the Lord has told them to do. And then phase four. Dying to self and becoming consumed with the glory of God. Now, sinful people are at heart pleasure seekers, and her only sin is not going to be simply pornography. Her pornography addiction temporarily relieves boredom, anxiety, romance fantasies, intimacy desires, but she must now seek her pleasure from God. It should be her joy to obey God. And I suggest writing out a prayer for her to pray in her own words, but here's the idea. Now, you've taught her, you've uh, counseled her, you've given her scripture after scripture. I would have her memorize that part in 1 Thessalonians 4 um, and the you know, teaching her about thinking pure thoughts instead of impure thoughts, God-honoring thoughts, excellent and praiseworthy thoughts. If you haven't read my Attitudes of a Transformed Heart book, chapter 9 is how to think biblically. And um, sometimes I start ladies out, depending on what they're telling me and what their problems are, with that chapter, not at the beginning of the book, but with that chapter. Uh, Prayer asking to be consumed with the glory of God. Lord, I want so badly to please you. Help me have control over my body, not in the passion of lust, but in holiness and honor to you. And I base that on 1 Thessalonians 4, 5. Lord, help me to be consumed with your glory in every area of my life. My ministry to my husband, my kids, my money, whatever I eat and drink, all for your glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Renew my mind that I will be focused on the things above, not on this earth. Colossians 3.2 Use me for your glory 
no matter what that means. John 14, verse 13. Now, if, if, you know, if you've gotten this far in the counseling and you've taught them, and you, because they need to be like a dog with the bone that won't let go. They need to keep after God to help them. He promises that they can come boldly to the throne of grace and there find grace to help and mercy in time of need. And this is an astounding promise. But she needs to go to him and say, because her habitual sin is her fault. These are consequences of starting that to begin with. And... Uh, but God can change her, but she's going to have to work out her salvation in fear and trembling and discipline herself for the purpose of godliness. Um, I would take her through Arthur Pink's book, The Attributes of God. I love that book. In little chapters, a lot of scripture, sometimes he writes them out, sometimes he doesn't. But I'll say, I want you to go through this chapter for this week. Look up every scripture. Even if he quotes it, you look it up in your Bible and think about it and mark it. If he doesn't quote it but cites it, you look it up. So you're studying through this chapter. It's not just a blazing reading through the chapter. Underline what stands out to you. Come, when you come back, we're going to go page by page, and you tell me what stood out to you, and then I'm going to tell you what, what I had underlined and, and what I thought was important. If you have questions, put a question mark in the margin. If I don't know the answer, I've got pastors who probably do, and we will find out. Um, so the attributes of God, James MacDonald uh, has a good book, Gripped by the Greatness of God. It's good. Uh, now, some of the not recommended resources, be wary of resources that are man-centered, seeking to have your needs met, your significance, your worth, even your identity needs presented in a very man-centered way. Also avoid any 12-step programs, group therapy, and or books that give examples of sordid details. I recommend Finally Free by Heath Lambert. Uh, to turn from the pornography, I recommend The Excellent Wife to learn a pure perspective on sexual intimacy. And then... Let me just conclude by saying pornography addiction in women is on the rise. It is a secret. It is a tightly guarded secret. It is adultery or fornication in one's heart. We should not be shocked as this is a sin common to man. Instead, we should make it as easy as possible for others to approach us if they're seeking help. This many times all-consuming sin can be overcome with God's grace and the means that God has given us to walk in his light. So 
Does anybody quickly have a question? Any questions? I'm surprised you all are not laying on the floor asleep. Yes? The book you quoted at the very front from Chris Lorenzo, do you not recommend that resource? Which one? The uh, book that you cited at the very beginning about not being alone. Uh, Dirty Girls Come Clean. Um, it's, it's a little psychologized. Now, she's, she's at least getting the issue out there. But I, I think these other resources are, would be may, maybe better uh, for what you want to do. I would certainly, if you get the, any of her material, I would read it first before I would use it. Um, uh, in the Attitudes book, I have a whole chapter on uh, thinking things that are pure. So pure hearts attitudes, pure mental attitudes too. Okay, any other questions? All right, let's go get something to eat. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Copyright 2016, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.